What's up, heroes? I'm the House Ninja, superhero DJ and music producer, and also the host of the Producer Life podcast. This is episode 105, and in this special series on the podcast, I'm interviewing the 16 contestants of Base Battleground. This Sunday, August 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Emerald Summers Presents Twitch channel, we have our next two contestants battling it out. I'll be opening up for them, so I'd love to see you in the Twitch channel starting at 4 p.m. Before we get to those interviews, I wanted to invite you to Roguewoods, a mini-festival in Atlanta on Saturday, August 13th. I'll be getting the party started at 8 p.m. Eastern, so show up early for my set. Roguewoods is an all-night experience with over 20 DJs on three stages, a silent disco, food, multiple bars, flow artists, and in this enchanted forest setting filled with art for sale. So grab your friends, bring them along, and come support your local DJs, artists, and vendors. I'll have links for tickets in the show notes page, and I'll also be giving away two free tickets this week on my email list, so make sure you join over at ProducerLifePodcast.com. Before we get to the interviews, cue the intro music. And I've got the first of the contestants with me right now, Winter Atlas, uh, who is a DJ, producer, and multi-instrumentalist based out of Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, he's got over a decade of experience making music and, and playing instruments both in bands and as a studio session bassist and a vocalist. So we're going to have a great conversation. Welcome, Winter Atlas. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Terrific. Uh, I, I got to ask, where's... I'm struggling to figure out the name. It's an awesome name, and I feel like I should be able to place it, but how did you come up with that name? No worries. I, you know, it was kind of just one of an epiphany things, really. I was uh, uh, originally dubbed, uh, while starting to write music, uh, DJ Hamplifier, because my name is Hampton, and I have amplifiers, so it was a really terrible combination of the two. Uh, And, you know, uh, at 16 years old, that was funny, and it was great. Uh, so after some growing and wanting to really invest in myself, uh, I, I just dug through a lot of things that I like, um, and, uh, terms that I like, I like words that go well together. Um, and so I was working, talking with my wife one night and I, I almost went with Atlas winter because it was alphabetical, but, uh, she, she hit me back with a winter Atlas sounds flows better in it. To me, it does. Uh, and both, you know, I love snow. I like the cold weather. It's a good thing. Um, Atlas to me is, you know, the world, the globe. And I'm a huge fanatic of space. I got the solar system tattooed on my arm. I just I love everything to do with outer space and the cold and snow and music. Okay. All right. Well, terrific. Uh, and how did you, you, you mentioned that you got started like at 16 as a DJ. Is that where this musical journey began for um, you? My musical journey has been several, several tiers over many, many years. Uh, I probably actually started playing music uh, and kind of writing and producing around the age of 13, actually. Um, I just got a, a demo of FL Studio with a buddy of mine at his house. We hauled a really terrible drum kit down, hung a microphone from a ceiling fan and just started recording and making dumb sounds. Uh, and then I really took off with my own copy, um, just making weird boops. The first track I ever made 
and uh, titled was Space Jam, and it is a genuine travesty, but one that I will probably listen to for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> but uh, from there, um, I began producing electronic music just on a constant backburn. It was like what I would go home and do if I wasn't feeling playing a game or watching a movie or thing. It was it was going to be going home, just playing around with music and everything like that. It was about the age of 16 or so. I did get my first DJ controller, a little Hercules DJ control air, and just playing around with, you know, songs I liked, seeing how they would play together. I knew nothing of the mechanics. And at the time, I had no idea how to look for it on YouTube either. So I was just out in the wild, just messing around uh, there. And um, yeah, that was that's how I first kind of started doing that. And between those years of 13 and 18, taking guitar lessons, bass guitar lessons, uh, playing in a, a little alt rock punk band for uh, most of high school. We won three consecutive Battle of the Band competitions with our performances. Um, nice. And before we all split ways. Okay, well, awesome. Um, how, how did that band experience kind of influence your music now? Actually, that had a pretty big influence, especially uh, towards our actual first uh, Battle of the Bands. Um, we were all geared up. We had an EP out and everything. Um, we were um, playing it. We had practice. We had a good choreograph, you know, performance routine uh, to keep the crowd interacted and everything. And then um, the week of the event, um, our drummer was unable to get off of work uh, for it. And so panic set it in. And uh, I uh, was like, let's just backtrack everything. I can produce it. We can just make stuff. And so with, uh, with a lot of collaborative effort, uh, and it was not just solely me at all, but we backtracked the whole drums and everything for our entire set uh, on, on a click uh, track on an iPad, uh, iPod Nano. Um, and we didn't stop there. We added synths. We added bridges. We added... Um, extra effects while we were playing we uh i ended up making an intro track for us to you know walk out on stage two and stuff and that was pretty sick so that was really big in making like you know a piece of electronic artwork and music that went coincidingly with a performance yeah fantastic and and were you doing doing that originally you said fl studio Yes, and I'm still in FL Studio now. Uh, I'm eagerly awaiting the drop of uh, FL Studio 21. Uh, I've been dabbling in some Ableton stuff over the past couple of years. Uh, I've got a lot of producers and friends that only use that, and I, I would like to know how to at least comprehend it. Um, but I, I've been using FL for 10 plus years now, and it is uh, like a second home for me. <laughs> what do you What do you like so much about FL Studios? I've got a lot of uh, producers listening to this, so... Sure. Um, but a lot of them are able Ableton folks. So myself included. For, for me, my, my workflow has always involved more than one screen to start off with. And uh, I've never messed really with Ableton and multi-screen. So I, I could, I'm not com doing a comparison per se here. Um, but I've always loved having my, my playlist view just all by itself out on another screen while I have, um, you know, VSTs, piano rolls and, uh, effects and my mixer and stuff across my other two screens. Um, that way I have a whole screen that's just clean for the, the art basically of it. I love the wave shapes. I love seeing the MIDI tracks all uh, there. It lets me see it all in, in a 
in a picture form almost instead of just seeing notes and music and waveforms. Um, I, I like to color them depending on how the song feels. Um, and I know you can do a lot of that in Ableton too. It is more or less an unfamiliarity is the only reason I haven't used Ableton yet, but with FL studio, the amount of time I've put into it, you know, I can, I can record full bands in there. I've done that several times. I've mixed and mastered several albums for either, uh, you know, metal bands or just solo artists or a, a pop artist. Um, I've done a hunt bunch of remixes, um, in it with friends or even just a couple of times I've had my brother and a couple of friends over. I just arm four or five tracks, however many inputs I can get into it. And we just, we just hit live and we just jam uh, on it and record for a while. Um, I think to me, it, it suits my workflow the best, um, with how the, the visual aspect of the song appears as I can also have my mixer at the bottom, because I, again, I've worked in live music a lot as well. So having the, the fit, the fader looking whole mixer rack on the bottom of the screen and everything for me is incredible for me to just glance across and I can be like, that is down six decibels. I could pull this down over here. Um, and the, the mixing for me has been a big thing over the past few years uh, with my more deep dive into my production. Okay. Do you find yourself, uh, or do you have favorite VSTs that you use with FL Studio? Or Definitely. do you use a lot of just uh, built-in effects? I, I use a lot of the built-in effects and I love watching uh, tutorials and people on YouTube being like, yo, like check out what these native things can do. And it's crazy. Um, I don't dive that deep into uh, a lot of that um, currently. It's been more of a, a structural cr- creation uh, and uh, sampling and looping and just chopping and making a lot of sounds out of different sounds uh, for me recently. But with uh, VSTs and stuff that I like in FL Studio, I mean, I use Serum a ton. Uh, I use that for any sound I can really desire. Uh, I mess around with Massive and Massive X from Native Instruments. I use Contact a lot for for more real instruments, keys, uh, you know, brass or strings and stuff like that um, come from there. Um, a lot of my more root sounds for a song, uh, a lot of times I'll use the Native uh, FL uh, tools for. Uh, the sampler uh, in FL Studio where you just you just drag up a, a, a sound and put it into there. I use that for dr- like a lot of my percussion and everything um, in that way form um, as well as for, for sub basses. A lot of times I have a whole rack that I've built where it's just a, a, a three oscillator uh, sine wave that I have a preset of effects that I go on top of that generate that uh, that kind of sub that I use most of the time. And that's all just uh, completely uh, native to FL Studio. Okay, great. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about some of your music. Um, And you've got, when I was looking through your catalog in Spotify, I was like, wow, he's got a really extensive catalog. What looked like about 30 tracks, but you said, no, there's a whole lot more. What what would you, how many tracks do you have in your catalog right now? I could get a precise uh, thing if I looked it up, but uh, to start with uh, my goal for myself in the year of 2020, which was just a sheer chaos year for so many people and artists alike. um, My goal was to release a new song every single week for the entire year. So in 2020 alone, I released 52 tracks. 
Um, and that ranged all the way uh, from, you know, some of my more signature, my, my personal feeling like future bass, like melodic dubstep vibes uh, to like really heavy dubstep or like some house music all the way down to just chill ambient tracks or just some lo-fi hip hop beats or just a hip hop beat. Um, some kind of more like electro pop, I guess, sounding tracks in there as well. But 2020, I used that method of even wanting to release a new song every week as a venue for me to really, really dive in and see how quickly I could get a project from my head onto FL Studio and then out to the public. And also one of my my biggest things for me uh, in my life as a person is integrity. And I want my music to show that as well. I want my music to be quality. Um, and so the 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 rapid uh, production can always <laughs> result in a really terrible sounding song uh, mixed or mastered. It can just be terrible. So the goal there as well was not only just to make a quick song, get it out there, not care about it. No, I wanted to make a quick song and I wanted it to sound good. And then somebody would be like, dude, this song sounds great. How long have you spent it? I mean, like, dude, I made that in a day, like if not like six hours tops type of thing. Um, and not i'm not looking for that for bragging rights or anything i want that to be a skill i want to be able to do that i want to write with people and i want to be able to write that way for myself because you know as a a, a young adult um at 28 you know i'm still working a full-time job uh i'm djing uh on the side uh i'm producing music on the side and then you know i've got you know my hobbies i like to game with my brother or my friends i like to hang out and go out for dinner and stuff like that. So it's to me being able to sit down and put down the quality and the heart that I want in a song quickly uh, and effectively as well. So, so what, yeah. What lessons did you learn over that year of producing 52 tracks? How, how did you get so fast at producing, mixing and mastering those tracks? What, what was your workflow that, like? That came down to, a little bit of um, weighing how I would um, roadmap my songs, I guess. So say I sit down for a session that day and I'm like, I start off this super sweet song and like, this is sick. I cannot make this the quality I want it to be within a week. So that song then hits, hits level two for me and drops down in priority a little bit. Whereas I can spend some time on that and make that a future release. So it wasn't necessarily starting a song on Monday to release it on Friday because um, a lot of um, distribution places, you know, they want you to have your songs submitted four to six weeks in advance uh, before release. So uh, often, no, I wasn't perfect about this either. <laughs> um, I tried to have four or five songs lined up in release. So I would give myself four to five weeks to complete a song. But, you know, there's some of those days where I could sit down and write one of my chill. Like, I, you know, I could have been really tired. I can just drop a, a cool beat in. I can start chopping some samples and make a, a lo-fi track. Just a, a little beat to vibe with and chill with. And I'd be like, this, this is good. Uh, my mixing, um, I mix uh, from the ground up a lot of the times. I'm a big fan of finding the priority sounds putting that to zero, uh, then leveling everything around that and blending and panning accordingly. Um, you don't mas mastering and everything to me is still a little bit of a monster, but I'm, I'm getting much, much better at that. I, I know what I'm looking for most of the time now. I, I frequently heard the advice to leave a few decibels of headroom rather than mastering right to zero, but you, you prefer to master right to zero. 
or not Omics mastered. Like no, just uh, just for the channels. So you know, channels one through twenty, um, they all I I can have them all up to one, uh, you know, to zero decibels. But then my my the, the send that I have everything going to, I always have that at minus six. Uh, so I, I give oh. myself minus six decibels of headroom on my master track itself um, before um, I even export uh, for the first time. Now, that doesn't say that I, I have, I think, honest to God, the only thing that ever constantly hits zero decibels is probably my kick drum. Um, and it, that's in its own track. And even when I route that out to the master where that's sitting at, it never goes above minus six. Um and so for, and I've, I've gotten some kickback on this and then other people do this as well. I, I like to master in a completely separate session. I never master at the same time. Um, I sit down and I, uh, I level out my track. I get everything routed to my master and then I export it as a 32 bit float wave uh, file. Uh, so I've got all the headroom I could possibly desire. Uh, and then again, at that minus six uh, decibels on the output for that song itself. So, you know, I export that and I start up a new session. I, I drag that file in uh, and it's just, you know, sometimes it's just a little bitty thing and I normalize it and give it, you know, it's, it's breath uh, to where it sits. And even then at that point, when the master fader uh, for me is at, is at my minus, I recently have been exporting at, at minus 0.2. So a little more than half a decibel uh, of true peak volume. Um, I master into uh, isotope products is what I use from my mastering chains. Uh, I use uh, EQ, I use Neutron, uh, and then I, I go all the way into Ozone 9 with a couple things thrown in between here and there, depending on the song, um, to to bring the volume uh, of the track uh, and maximize that up. And then I limit it with my true peak uh, in Ozone uh, to give it that no clip. This is, this is, this is your no, no leaving this zone, uh, brick. Um, and then for me, it's, it's listening for distortion at that point. And if I can hear distortion or if I hear sounds getting squished, it, it's dialing back either, you know, jumping back to my mix track, re-leveling some stuff and then bouncing back into the master, which I know can be a pinch tedious, um, but again, that, that's been my routine for years. Um, and a, uh, the first reason I ever did it was my computer was too crappy to handle a mastering session on top of a project. Um, and then B, um, it's less distracting for me. I can't go and adjust every little bitty sound every single time I hear something in the master. I'm like, okay, hold on. So do, is this something I need to go back to my mix session for, or is this something I actually I can actually, you know, readjust my, my master EQ, my compression, um, and everything like that. Is that something I can address in, in post per se? Um, not always, but there's times that I've surprised myself. Okay. Um, you've got a new track coming out in later this month, uh, wind of delirium. Can you tell us a little bit about that track since, sure. since that's recent on your mind? Yeah, I mean, recent on the mind, uh, that's actually fairly old on the heart. That one's been sitting uh, in my private tracks uh, on SoundCloud for, I think, two years now. Uh, I wrote that in 2020, but I was never fully satisfied with how it was because of the way that song flows and the, like the hit and everything. This is a this is a this is a heartfelt track for me on this front. 
I, I used some splice vocals for the first time on it, and I I'd never found some samples that made a song feel that much better <laughs> before. Um, and so I, I desperately I was trying to get like small labels to to pick it up and release it because I was like this song I feel so good about I want this to actually be heard. Um, and recently I again. I, I thought back to 2020 is like, I was releasing a song a week. I can release a song a month here or there. You know, this song is so good. I want people to hear it. I want, I want to start showing off what I really want to be again with that, trying to narrow down my, my branding and my, my, myself as winter Atlas um, and start really trying to, to push out some really high quality, really polished tracks that I want to release instead of just, you know, my jam tracks, my, my, my lo-fi beats and stuff like that. I wanted that the passion tracks to, to hit harder. Um, and so this one I'm, I'm amped for this release. I, I put it out, you know, like I said, uh, it's four weeks in advance or something like that. It's coming out on the 26th. Um, so I'm going to be posting a bunch about that off and on, uh, and I'm just hoping for a good reception on it. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll include the uh, pre-save link in the battleground notes. Um, before we talk about this weekend's battleground, I do have to ask you about one more thing because my head kind of exploded when I saw it. I was uh, doing what I usually do before the show. I was stalking you on uh, social media and I was checking out all your posts and everything and checking Every out your Spotify profile. Yeah. Um, you call it research. I call it stalking, you know, <laughs> same, same, same. Uh, but I went over to your personal profile on Spotify and my jaw dropped because you have 515 public playlists on your personal profile. Um, and some of those playlists have upwards of 30,000 streams, I guess a month. So tell me about that because that is a huge number of playlists that I don't know. Are you curating those or what, no. what's going on with those? Uh, are you talking about the, like my, my Hampton Aramic? profile yeah, or your, the winter your atlas. personal profile you've got mm -hmm. a, a ton of playlists under there so a lot of those um was during 2020 again with a song a week that doesn't leave a lot of time for promotion so i was actually digging into a lot of submission uh pub publish uh publish uh, promo like playlists and stuff like that where you could submit your tracks and stuff too and a ton of those places uh require you to follow those playlists for them to even like listen to your submission so you got it those a, are ones you're following of those playlists are are just locked in from there and i think actually at the beginning of this year that was probably closer to like a thousand playlists and i've been narrowing it down over the years um <laughs> okay. I, I won't lie i have a good chunk of those that are personal playlists that i've made or um off and on i'm a wedding dj on occasion as well uh i dj for friends and family that you know are looking for a dj and you know that's not my business per se that i don't put that on my card um, so like if a friend or family needs a DJ for, you know, not $1,800, um, I am more than happy to try and accomplish that. And so I have a bunch of playlists, like honestly, probably 50 to a hundred playlists in there that are from different weddings, uh, or different events, formals, uh, you know, homecomings and stuff like that, where people give me like requests and I, I drop it in a playlist so that I can have it for later, um, as well. So for me, uh, my playlist vault is is basically just that. It's a crate dig. Uh, I jump into there if I feel risky. <laughs> got it, got it. And and I think 
it speaks a lot to you as a, a DJ and how versatile you are, not just the variety of music that you're following and listening to, but also I think it was you at um, Roguewoods, the uh, Emerald Summers Presents Festival that we were at just recently. Your thumb drive got corrupted and you had to play off of somebody else's thumb drive, didn't you? Was that you? That wasn't me, but I did actually have to play off of my laptop briefly or try to. Uh, and okay. then I just wound up playing off of the, in, the internal Denon uh, that uh, DJ Stilts uh, had up there for us. Um, he had his own stuff in there. And uh, really one of the things that because I, I actually haven't been like EDM DJing for more than three years at this point. Uh, I moved to Greenville, South Carolina, late 19, and started getting involved with the the scene here. And then I was playing at a local place um, every Thursday and got taught a ton of stuff. And a lot of it was very much on the fly. A buddy of mine's like, hop up here, just start, just play with me. And I was like, I don't have a drive. He's like, just play what's on there. I was like, okay, I don't know what's on there, but let's find out. <laughs> so it was <laughs> learning the the cues, seeing the keys, the BPM and stuff like that. And, and you know, knowledge of the genre as well. Um, and being able to just very much mix on the fly. And so that's one of the reasons I was actually like, I was stumped at Roguewood at first, but then I, um, I just had to go back to that mindset where it was just, I, I need to hop on this and I just need to start playing some freaking music. Like these, that's what yeah. these people are here for. Um, and then uh, after a little bit, got my drive back in and, and started working and then just took off from there as well. Yeah. Um, if I hadn't been standing behind there as you guys behind the decks, as you were guys were kind of trying to figure it out, I wouldn't have noticed from an audience perspective. So uh, a big kudos there. Um, let's let's shift focus a little bit. Let's talk about the event this weekend. Let's talk about base battleground. You're going to be going up against dry low. Um Tell me about what you've done to get ready for that and, and what people can expect from your set. Sure. Um, the first and only other time I have actually DJed a live stream event was for the uh, DJs for Ukraine benefit back in January uh, that a bunch of people that were are also involved with Emerald Summers as well as uh, across the, the globe and states all over the place. People were very involved with that and it was a very awesome experience. Um, I'd never done anything like it before. So I spent <laughs> two days beforehand just rerouting my desk and like, okay, my interface is better over there. I, I, I have a dresser over in my corner that's, you know, about you know, stomach height. And so I hauled that over in front of my computer where my webcam is. And I, I just adjusted, pulled my board over, ran some extension cables. And um, I actually hung this little curtain uh, back here on my wall. Uh, and I had it draped down and my buddy has a, a tiny little projector, which I'll probably end up using again uh, for this week's uh, battleground for some just projection visuals and stuff. I was trying to um, emulate a lot of what I saw during uh, 2020 where, you know, so many DJs were on lockdown. There were no shows, uh, you know, Gasly for one, he dressed up in a green screen morph suit, wrapped his whole room in a green screen and just DJed for like, hours and just had a great time with weird visuals and good music and so i'm like that sounds awesome i don't have that but i'm gonna try um and so uh for this week uh i i guess i'm gonna try and probably make sure it's a little streamlined for myself um i have a good set list uh idea that i i have uh in prepping um i'm also trying to work in as many originals as i can um, like I said, with uh, 2020 uh, and doing 52 songs in that year alone, um, 
not just that year, but in total, I have roughly 34, 35 straight up EDM songs in my um, actual uh, catalog of releases. Um, and I saw that the other day. I was just curious to see how many I had. And I was like, oh, I've got a lot. I could, I could really actually put a lot of these into a set. So I'm, I'm working on that. This may not be the week for it, but I always have some of my own originals to drop in there. And uh, that new one coming out in a couple of weeks, Wind of Delirium, I, I'll probably try and work that in there this week. So if anybody's listening, you get a, a early listen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, do you have any messages for your competitor? Raylo, I don't. I saw you have a beard. Um, it doesn't look as long as mine, so I can only say may the best beard win. But at the <laughs> same time, I'm so excited to just play and have a great time. And uh, I can't wait to watch Raylo's set as well. Um, happy Hardcore is a genre I don't listen to very often anymore, but I definitely used to. Uh, so I'm very, very curious to watch a set of it DJs live. Uh, and I'm very excited just to be a part of it. Yeah, it should be fun. And uh, tell the listeners where they can find you online. Absolutely. Uh, so this week, you know, uh, on August the 7th, I'll be on Twitch um, through uh, Emerald Summers Presents. Uh, and then I have a pretty good presence on Instagram at winter underscore Atlas. Uh, if you look up on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, anywhere you stream music, title, any of it, you just look up winter space Atlas. It's, it's two words, winter Atlas. Um, you can find me on all of it. I, uh, I just want my music to be out available for people to hear. Um, and I just love it when somebody comes to me, he's like, you had a song that I came across the other day and it was awesome. And that makes my absolute day. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight and I'll be looking forward and cheering for you both in the live stream this weekend. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Right now, I've got Ray Lowe. Uh, he's an Atlanta-based producer, DJ, and multi-instrumentalist who produces industrial pop, deep house, and techno. And I'm excited to welcome you, Ray Lowe, to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to, uh, to get, get into the, the thick of it, I guess. <laughs> this is going to be good. I, I, I got to ask, I, I mangled your DJ name at the beginning. I, I uh, mispronounced it. So tell me a little bit about the background on the name and how you got started originally DJing. Okay, so that is a really interesting story. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of like, I guess, re, like repurposing or like re, uh, I guess like, yeah, I like repurpose. Okay, so the long story is, is that uh, in high school, I was doing a bunch of uh, like psychedelics and stuff for like a long period of time and basically ended up like, I guess perma tripping would be like a, a solid term for it. Uh, basically had to go to, to like go to a doctor to kind of figure out what was going on um, with like substances and everything that, uh, that I was dealing with. And at the time that was like a phrase or like word or like kind of just like signifier that I had heard uh, like through these like hallucinations and trips. And so, you know, whenever it came time to like start, uh, making music and just posting it online, just for, like kind of for fun. It was, um, it was right after I'd gotten out of that period of like psychosis and kind of like drug, drug abuse. And so I figured, you know, 
it's an interesting story. It can be like kind of like a repurposing of like a word that like, like almost empowering sense of like, Oh, this is like part of my story, part of where I came from. And, um, it also sounds cool. I don't know. That's, uh, that, that helps as well, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I was just sitting in rehab and then like, just it like kind of popped into my head and I stuck with it, ran with it. I was, well, not the word itself, like the, the phrase I'd heard before, but it was more just like, Oh, that would be an interesting, I was looking for an artist name cause I was just sitting playing guitar, not able to use my computer. And I was like, well, I want to start putting down some of these recordings of me playing guitar. Um, and what should I do it under? And that's kind of where, where the whole music thing started was like a response, like almost a therapeutic response to, um, dealing with like a very scary and like traumatizing event. So yeah. 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 Right into the thick of it. Okay, and well, I'm I'm glad you made it through that, and and that's that's an awesome backstory to the name. Uh, you posted something on Twitter a little while ago that you've been sober for three years now. Congratulations! And uh, can since since you kind of brought it up, can you tell me a little bit about that and um, yeah, so sort of the, the challenges there. Oh my God, are there challenges? Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's interesting because I was this is just kind of anecdotally, but I was helping organize this show for uh, a collaboration between these two event companies, um, WGF and YDF. And they're like both underground rap kind of scenes. And the guy walks up the Richie walks up to me, the guy who runs it. And he's like, yo, like you drinking tonight? And I was like, no. And he's like, are you doing something else? I was like, uh, no. And he just looked awfully confused. And um, I guess that's kind of like incorporating, like inhabiting music scenes as a sober person can be kind of confusing for certain people, I guess, especially ones who use it as a kind of like, they use drugs as like a way to enhance the experience, which I totally get, like I've been there. Um, but for me, it just doesn't, it doesn't enhance it, right? Like a lot of the times, like um, when I was, when I was in my, in my like high school band or whatever, like just like, you know, just like a cover band in high school. Um, I would show up just like absolutely stoned to the bone or like tripping on something. And um, I thought it sounded really good. A lot of other people did not think it sounded good. Right. <laughs> so I learned that lesson early on that um, it's best if you're going to perform to actually treat it like it's a job, like it's work. You know what I mean? You don't, yeah, most people don't think it's a good idea to show up tripping or high or drunk or whatever to work. It's generally frowned upon. And for a good reason. Um, and so whenever, I don't know, uh, three years sober. So that was in July 14th. And the, the journey of getting into the scene has been interesting because it's during COVID, right? Like I just started producing like a little bit of like kind of drum and bass and stuff and just having a little bit of fun. I was in a band and like learning how to record with them. And you know, just watching lessons and I was programming the drums for the punk band. And then I started like, you know, having to engineer my own voice and engineer the guitars and figure all that stuff out. And then COVID hit. And so the traditional way of like, Oh, going to a bunch of clubs and learning that you love music and that, and I do love music. And I learned that at a young age. And also like my, my entry into the scene was more along the lines of like the internet. Um, I mean, that band met on Craigslist, you know what I mean? It was a very weird situation overall, but, 
yeah, I got on Twitter, got invited to some Discord chats and kind of learned the ins and outs of productions from some people who I think I really admire and I think have really like helped me find my sound. Uh, shout outs like DJ Girl and Twofold and all of the Eat This Collective and um, definitely shout out to like Music Mondays and Bestie Mafia, like just everyone who like along the way has helped me out with my production because and just like making music in general because I think without that like sense of community, even though it's online and it's a little parasocial, you know what I mean? It definitely, um, it definitely helped. So like, I guess for me, sobriety hasn't been a huge problem for staying. Um, it hasn't been a problem staying sober. It's really more going to events and staying sober is like a little weird for other people. For me, it's not weird because I love music and I love doing it. And this is what I want to do for my job, but for other people it can make them really uncomfortable maybe not really uncomfortable, but it just makes them like second guess it. Like I remember I was at Roguewood and one of the, I don't remember who I was talking to, but they were like, Oh, so you're just out here raw dogging life. And I was like, kind of, I mean, I figured like you're out here raw dogging drugs. Like that's really my, my take on it. But well, you, you know, make people comfortable, just walk around with a glass of diet Coke or something and pretend like it's rum and Coke, you know, and everybody like, exactly. Just- yeah. And it's more for other people sometimes than it is for us. But um, yeah, no, hundred percent that you can like bring a buddy, you know, bring a buddy, drink like, you know, something that looks brown, you know, hit a jewel or a little vape or whatever. And just like, yeah, I, I fit in fine. I'm not worried about it. It's more just like if I do try to take some substances into my body, it's just going to be a nightmare for everyone involved. So I, I tend to, uh, I tend to avoid that nowadays. And uh, I think it definitely helps. Yeah, recovery has been great. So one of the things that struck me as I was looking at your catalog on Spotify as a producer is you have been phenomenally productive over the last couple of years. And that seems like that coincides with this period of sobriety. I mean, you, you've in 2022 alone, I was absolutely shocked. You put out five singles, two EPs and an entire album in 2022. And we're only, you know, three quarters of the way through the year. And a lot of that has been banked. Um, I think so. Yeah, 2022 has been really interesting. Here, let me pull up Spotify because in 2021, I think I only put out like a couple EPs, and I was really working on uh, a couple projects. Um, the first one being Alien Complex, which is coming out in 15 days. I need to start working on promo for that. But um, 2021 was interesting because I kind of had to take a step back and think about how am I going to incorporate vocals into these instrumentals and stuff that I'm trying to write. And so it came from like a lot of influence of like punk music, like post hardcore specifically. And, um, and like drum and bass and like where, where those two things kind of interact, which is like super weird and like experimental too at the same time. And like hyper pop is definitely a big influence, but, um, a lot of that so far has been banked from the pre from 2021. So alien complex is a concept album about um, is it's kind of like my take on like the space rock genre, but just from like an electronic perspective, there's a lot of history of aliens and electronic music. If you look at the history of like the development of electronic music, whether it's like Carl Heinz Stockhausen's like, um, his, his project contact, which is like a B side, or maybe it's an A side to like uh, a release where it's basically just a bunch of weird sounds he made in the fifties with this synthesizer that it was outlining like an alien, um, 
alien contact. So, and then recently, like there's a couple of producers I really like, like Eagle Ghost and Kai Whitson. And both of them have been working with like the kind of the idea of like, not necessarily like aliens in the sense of extraterrestrials, but being alienated um, as a person and using that as like a, a mechanism, like using the experience of being an alien in a society as, as a, but also saying it in a literal sense of a, telling the story of an extraterrestrial. So that was kind of the story behind alien complex is like my experience, I guess, growing up in the deep South and being like, you know, not really fitting in, not really having a lot going on. Um, and I guess, yeah, the narrative is like, you know, you go to space, you like fall in love with something. Uh, and then it ends up like biting you in the ass and you like, they go with it, like the, the princess and like me or whatever, go in the intergalactic war. And then like, after we fall in love and then I like kind of, I don't know. The narrative is kind of all over the place, but the idea is like the alien is kind of like all the isms that we use to like classify ourselves and all these labels and all these different things that divide us. Right. And like initially, like we, you know, kind of find comfort in finding a name for whatever it is that we like, or I found comfort in like knowing that, Oh, like, Oh, I have like an addiction problem. And like, this is like, this is nice to know finally what was like kind of made me the odd one out when I was like drinking and using in my teens and stuff. And, but really it's not that right. Like it's the fact that um, although that label does make me comfortable, it's like, I'm, it's more complex than that. And like, you know, I'm a product of my own history and just everything along. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird like journal entry into the, like a time of like uh, change, I guess would be like a good summary of, of the alien complex album. And that's coming out on the uh, 18th. And that is like kind of the, my big project for the year. And I've been working on it over the last year and a half. So yeah, yeah. That, that's awesome. And it sounds it sounds like a lot of your albums, because a lot of your albums fe- feature you as a vocalist, correct? Yeah, uh, it's either that or I'm like producing an, an album for exclusively one artist. Okay. All right. I mean, it seems like the a executive lot of your, producing almost. Like Atlians, is it uh, not Atlians? Like, like the Aliens album that is coming out, are a lot of your songs sort of metaphorical and have messages on multiple layers yeah a lot of it's conceptual yeah a lot of it's conceptual i think um like for instance just like this control atl delete release that me and nate just put out um it is like a small short story about like getting messed up falling in love you know feeling like you want to it's basically a story of like unrequited love and like uh lust and all that stuff and kind of um not getting what you want out of a relationship. Like a lot of, a lot of the stuff that I do, right. Or like help on, um, has like its sort of narrative or concept to it. Um, unless it's like a Lucy's album, I'll do Lucy's albums every now and then. But a lot of the times there is like something going on in my life that I'm working through. There's something that I'm like thinking about and, or there's something that I'm listening to cloud. Stop. Come on. Hey girl. Sorry. My dog's being stupid. Um, That's all right. You like dogs. Yeah, there's something I'm working through and I'm something I'm like thinking about and it makes my music uh, sound different, you know, and that's kind of that's kind of the cool thing about like being able to have like a it's it's like a journal entry of a period of time in my life, I guess. Yeah, that's that's cool. You really poured yourself into your music and uh, not not only are you 
singing on some of the albums, but you you actually like on the villain ones you were rapping. Is that you? As <laughs> yeah, well? and that's kind of like a that is kind of like a weird thing for me because I don't like rap or whatever. But what it is is like at the time I was going through like some serious negative feelings of like, um, basically like, so my girl, my, my ex and me had decided to get back together and she was seeing someone on the side, she was dating someone and I was the side guy and I didn't know that. And then also that happened again with this other girl that I was seeing, she ended up having a boyfriend. And then the third time it happened again. And I was like, Okay, now what what is this? What quality of that about me makes it in, in, like endearing or enticing to like be the the other person in like a kind of a um, infidelity in, in infidelity and in relationships and like so I, I guess that was me like kind of exploring the concept of like just being an asshole, but like it wasn't something I had intentionally done. Like none of these girls had told me that they had like we're in relationships or seeing someone or something like that, but it didn't change the fact that I like felt weird about it. And like my way of, I guess like processing it or just like kind like working through that period of my life was like, all right, well that's kind of like a shitty villainous thing to do. So like, what, what does that sound like to me? Um, yeah. Yeah. It was a weird, it was a weird little period of life. Kudos for, for really pouring yourself into your music. And um, I think a lot of producers are hesitant to put their own voice on an album uh, or, or even a single track. Uh, I know of all of the tracks I've produced, I think there's one track that has my actual voice on it and it's like one word. So um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. awesome. And that, a lot of this also you know, like, yeah, a lot of it comes from, um, so when I was in high school, I, I, my music teacher actually, which I had the blessing of having like a music program in my school. That was really good. Um, my music teacher was like a, he was, he taught theory. He played organ at the church. And then also he was the like assistant director of the American boy choir. Like who he like played at like inaugurations and shit. So basically like he really like taught me the fundamentals of singing and stuff like that. And I've kind of lost it, but I'm getting back into it through like my music degree at GSU. But, um, I've always, I've always imagined people and this is, Oh, JPEG mafia, uh, shout out JPEG mafia. Cause like what he said, well, like made so much sense to me at the time. He was like, I was making weird beats or other people and they didn't want to get on it. And like, but I saw so much potential in what I was doing. So I just had to start doing it. And like, that's really what it is, is like, a lot of the times I have to, I've ha like with my friends and like other collaborators that I work with, I'll have to show them that it is possible to like get on these like weirder tracks and that like, it sounds really cool. I mean, cause Laura, Laura Pinate, like this uh, vocalist from New York that I I've been working with over the last couple of years, she's like really one of the few people who's been able to like channel that kind of that like that like flexibility of being able to get on pretty much anything and making it sound better than it was before. And that's, that's like the goal of most vocalists is to kind of like improve and like make the track even more interesting than, than it was. And like maybe ascribe some sort of like meaning to like whatever these sounds make you feel, you know? Yeah. Tell me sort of at a technical level, what are, what are you using? What do you use for a doll to start with? 
Oh, okay. So I use Ableton. Um, my primary synth is like, uh, it was Serum. And then I started switching to Vital. So I almost, I pretty much only use like Vital and like Wavetable stuff. And I really love the, um, the, like, the ability to patch different and like automate different parameters uh, based on kind of like whether it's like velocity, pitch, or um, here I've got Ableton open right now, so I can kind of refer to it. Um, and like the random generator is like something I'm starting to get into as well. Like they have, um, there's different, they have different algorithms like sample and hold, sign interpolate and Perlin for like this random just value generator. And so a lot of the times like to get really vital does. No, no. I th are you talking about within Ableton? Um, or are you talking vital has like a random section so you can like basically. What's up? No, I was just clarifying. Is that Ableton or is that vital where you're talking about the random patches? Oh, vital vital has the ability to patch like a random value onto something. And so, for instance, like I have this weird, um, let me find it. I just recently released a sample pack through uh, Symphonic Production as well. So we're working on a second one. And let me see where the random is doing. So the random is like triggering the LFO, which uh, is modulating the distortion, the, uh, the filter cutoff, and the uh, wavetable like actual position. So that's like one of the random ones. The other one is uh, doing a transposition to make it like a, are you familiar with like, um, like uh, any producers like SV1 or like um, DJH? I'm not familiar they with Basically them, no. what they'll do is they'll patch, they'll do like, they'll take like a, a spectral waveform. So like something that has like a, like kind of a janky waveform and they'll like, They'll pitch it like, you know, eight octaves below or whatever. Like you play C0 or like C negative two on the keyboard. And then also you like have it, the oscillator pitch down to like negative 48 semitones. And you can get like these incredible textures when you're modulating the um, the actual position of the wavetable to the point where like it sounds like it sounds like a garbling like water almost. Like if you take a saw wave and it'll just be a click eventually if you tip pitch it down enough, right? It'll just be at, at, at each one of those uh, peaks and so of the waveform. So ideally, if you can take something that's spectral and kind of like modulate it, that click turns into like a water sound or it can turn into like, like just like weird, like rumblings almost. So sure. Um, that's like a texture that I've been really playing with a lot. And like a lot of the times using randomness to modulate that is really fun. Uh, also like as far as sound design is concerned, I think like Sophie is another big influence of mine. So like that, that just includes like using FM synthesis at like an extreme level. So that would be like the way that Sophie makes her or used to make her uh, samples and like snares specifically, she would take like, basic shapes and FM them against each other, but like then like push, like if you were to take like a, like just like a LFO that go, that's like a, a reverse envelope, right? So it just goes up. Um, and then you assign that to, I guess the modulating sine wave. So you turn that all the way down, 
have the pitch go up on the sine wave that is turned down and then whatever and then the second sine wave that's being modulated if, if you can follow this uh will sound like almost metallic it'll sound like i don't i i think pulling up the um pulling up a synth for reference would be really useful right now but um i don't think i can share my screen uh but it, it's like a it's like a loud metal clang and it, it's it's been like a use it's been a really useful skill i've learned it uh i learned it on youtube and then kind of started uh playing with the idea of it and then the third thing that i do a lot is like um like pitch envelopes to like make like a laser which is like pretty standard but i put it on the base like so if you're making like a regular like 808 right you have like a small pitch like from high to low uh modulation on the sine wave which will give it like that that initial like thud and then the low tone of like the sine wave and that's like a quick way to just make like an 808 right well what happens if you like crank that pitch envelope all the way up and then add a chorus and add distortion it makes this like massive laser wide like impactful bass that i've kind of been playing with too so i don't know there's um a lot of this is like what was that guy? Uh, like Umaru is like a big influence. His like his any videos you can find of Umaru about sound design are usually like gold. He just released a sample pack on Splice. It was like and he runs a uh, sample label on there, and they like are consistently topping. Uh, maybe not topping, but they're like top three usually every time they drop a pack. I'm so I'm curious. I definitely would recommend Umaru and his label. Okay. I, I did want to go back just one more producer specific thing. Um, you said earlier yeah. that you, you had serum and you use serum, but you prefer vital. And of course, serum is like 220 bucks and vital Vital's is five. free. Uh, yeah. They've got a couple of paid tiers as well. So I had always assumed that producers that picked vital because it looks and feels a lot like serum chose it because they didn't want to spend the money on serum, but you're going the other way. So what, what draws you from? Yeah. I think vital is a little bit better for a couple of reasons. Yeah. So what is it you like? Vital the better? first reason I would say why vital is a little bit better. Yeah. So it's a little bit better because you have unlimited LFOs and you have unlimited envelopes and you have, uh, I'm pretty sure never pushed it, but I'm pretty sure you have unlimited random generation as well. Um, plus, I would say the you're missing out if you use Vital on having the hyper plugin or whatever. Like the it's basically it sounds like a mix between a chorus and unison. Do you know what I mean? That like first that first plugin on the effects rack, and also I'd have to look. It's pretty easy to recreate. Yeah, um, but yeah, if you're looking at Serum, I guess the main difference is, is that you have unlimited LFOs, unlimited envelopes, and unlimited. Um, random generators and I believe on serum you max out at eight which is like not that big of a deal also I think um, I like the vital the workflows are almost the same which is why I was able to translate very easily but I think the um, the vital like wave like actual wave tables are less um, geared towards like dubstep or like you know like whatever you want to call it um, like aggressive sound design and more to like ex expressive and kind of, I think vital has a little cloud. You're going to lose this wall. I'm sorry. Like I'm not going to keep getting it for you. Um, I think vital has a little bit more 
variety of, of wavetables and, and um, the tools that they do have are like in greater number. So okay. that's why awesome. I use Thank Vital you. mostly. Okay, cool. Um, well, I, I did a, a review of Vital a while back on the podcast, and so that's what, what sort of struck my attention. I'll have to link that in the show notes. Um, tell me about, let's let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about Base Battleground. You're competing against Winter Atlas this weekend. Um, what are your plans yeah. for the for the live stream, and what, what can people expect out of your set? Okay, so generally, so first off, I uh, my mixer is broken now. The one that I have in my house, so I, my headphones don't work. So um, I had to do a little bit of planning and a little bit of uh, improvisation to get it to basically no headphone mix, which is fun. It's a different challenge. Um, I think I think there's some really great moments in it. I've I've just I've already practiced it a little bit, and I think I'm gonna live. I think I'm gonna record one of my practice sessions and then stream it because I can't live stream on my current setup. But, you know, the idea behind a lot of my DJing is like taking um, something like a footwork track or something where I can like get the kicks on like a really weird rhythm, but like a still groovy rhythm and then have like, you know, some really like interesting sound design on the other track and some other like really interesting rhythms or melodies or something and kind of like blending those two elements together, like just mashups. Right. But I, I would expect really interesting mashups of really of songs probably no one's heard before. Uh, just like <laughs> so we won't even know the their mashups. <laughs> we, just, hmm? we won't even know their mashups. Almost, so we just like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah, it'll just sound good. It'll just sound good. You won't know their mashups. Yeah, there's no like voc- there's not a lot of vocals or anything on it either. It's just that's just kind of how I do it. A lot of mashups. So yeah. Okay. Have you have you got any messages for your competitor, Winter Atlas? Oh, I mean, look, I I am coming into this like feeling pretty confident. Uh, also, I, I haven't I've listened to Winter Atlas's sets at Roguewood and they were really good. So I'm nervous, and also I feel confident in my sets. So I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I think if you're watching it, you're going to have a great time. I, I think that's really the goal at the end of the day for everyone is just to put on a good show. And I think it, I think it's going to be great based on what I've heard from Winter Atlas and based on what I've have practiced. I think it's going to be great. So I'm yeah, excited. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and, and uh, excited to open up for you guys. And uh, 4 p.m. Eastern time on the Emerald Summers Presents Twitch channel this Sunday, August 7th. Um, so we're looking forward to having you on there. And uh, where can people find you online? Okay. So I'm on Twitter at underscore Rocktimist. That's where I'm going to be the most active. Um, I review music at uh, all music Mondays. And I also interview artists and stuff like that. Just general music journalism on all, on uh, all music Mondays.com. And I'm on Instagram at underscore Ray underscore low underscore clutch plugging. Okay. Fantastic. Well, good luck this weekend. And thanks. Thanks for your time tonight. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening please leave a rating and review wherever you're enjoying this podcast. Then head over to producerlifepodcast.com and look for episode 105 to find the show notes page, as well as the form to join my email list for free tickets, music, merch, and more. Until next time, this is the House Ninja reminding you to be somebody's hero today. <laughs>